In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. Hello beautiful people. As I mentioned in Monday's episode, today is a special episode I recorded with my friend Kate over at Ignorance Was Bliss. We met through a disability panel we were both on before I even launched my podcast, and when I was told I might have thyroid cancer, she was the first person I thought of to ask for advice. I didn't know how surgery and everything I was facing was going to affect my podcast, and I didn't just want to drop it. I really didn't know what to do, and I'm really glad I contacted her, honestly. She's given me a lot of encouragement and support over the last month or so, and invited me to share my health story with both my listeners and hers. It's a bit of a doozy and not normally what I talk about on this podcast, but I hope you get something out of it and maybe enjoy seeing a different side of me. Before I get into it, I do want to apologize for the sound quality on my end. I just got a new mic, so future conversations will be a lot more clear. That being said, here's part one of our conversation. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. <clears throat> How are you feeling? Ah, uh, honest answer? Yeah. A little overwhelmed. Seems about right. More, I'm worried that my other medical issues might interfere with healing, but there's no point in worrying about it, I guess. Yeah, I try to avoid worry and anxiety only because the outcome is going to be the same. You know what I mean? Whether right. I worry or whether I, it just happens, that doesn't mean I succeed. I cope with making lists and joking about inappropriate things. <laughs> that was, that, that works for me too. You know, dark humor and uh, yeah, you know, avoidance. I tried to convince my family to let me throw a butterfly shaped party. Like sure. A butterfly themed party. Like I'm divorcing my thyroid, and they were not amused. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I get it. So you you've had quite a story. Yes. So where do you want to start? I'm not going to get into the very early stuff, but it's important to know that I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. And uh, from what I've read and what I've been told, usually when you can... You don't contract it. It's a hereditary autoimmune disorder, but it manifests itself either at puberty or menopause for women, but most of the time, menopause. And I was unlucky, and it went undiagnosed for several reasons until I started dying from it in college. That sets the foundation for all the other health issues. But my story leading up to now really starts in November of 2015, when I nearly died in a car accident. I know nothing about cars. Okay. Were, you, were you driving? or? I was driving, okay. but I had purchased a car from a very shady dealership. And from talking to other mechanics and kind of what ha- from what happened, all that we can guess is that the, the car had body damage. So I was driving down the highway at 75, just the speed limit, and my back left tire blew, which oh, is dear. fine. I just, it, it, 
actually it wasn't a big deal if it had just been the one tire I was in the process of getting off and I would have been totally fine. But about 30 seconds later, my front right tire blew. Well, Jesus Christ. Yes. And uh, it, I was going to, I live in Arkansas, and I was going to one of our big cities for a class at like 6 p.m. So I was in the middle of traffic. And I don't know if anyone out there is like, thinks of themselves an excellent driver, but nobody can keep control of a car that blows tires on ops, on diagonal ends at 75 miles per hour. Well, that's just never happened before. Congratulations. Question mark? Yes, thank you. I I made a hole in the median that had to be repaired. <laughs> it, it's my hole. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I mean, show I, off. Yes, I wish that I had been there when they made the wall so I could, you know, put my name in it. I was here. Your face I printed it or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this nice, beautiful section of concrete. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> but um, my car spun out of control. And concussions do really funny things to you. I thought my car flipped entirely, like, over the top and then back on the tires, which I don't think is actually possible, but that's what is in my memory. But uh, my brother is a combat medic, and I have had many, many injuries in my life. And one of those people that if someone tells me I can't do something, whether I can do it or not, I'm going to try, and then I get hurt. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I knew that car accidents are serious. And the first thing you want to do is make sure if your neck is hurting, not to move it. Because my dad was an emergency room tech, and he scared me with a story so many years ago of this woman who was in a car accident, and she was thrown from the car, looked totally fine. When the the, um, emergency personnel arrived, she looked up at them and died because her neck was broken. Ugh. Like an internal decapitation kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. And it was just immediate. That didn't first pop in my mind. (laughs) I guess it says more about my personality than anything. When my car came to a stop, it was making a horrendous noise. So I turned it off. And all I hear is my audio book playing. And I just burst (laughs) out laughing. Well, (laughs) It was just outrageous. Well, and there's, but there's a certain relief, like that, that sort of endorphin, holy shit, rush. Right, because when I, my car spun, I remember the headlights of a car coming at me. And the only reason I survived was I had the presence of mind to turn into the spin and get out of the way. I don't know how, I just instinctually did it. So I turned my car off, and at that time, I didn't feel any pain. I reached over, turned my audiobook off, and immediately stopped laughing. My whole body seized up, and I just burst into tears. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I was in pain, and I, I just couldn't breathe. And you just I freaked the fuck out. I mean, that's yeah, a technical basically. term. But, yeah. but that only lasted for about... Uh, time is not a good thing in that situation, but I'd say about five minutes because by the time the first responders op- 
pry, they had to pry open my door, I was totally calm because I told myself, if I don't calm down, I'm going to make whatever injuries I have worse and I'm not going to be able to communicate. So I did some breathing exercises and held still and did rough triage on myself. Does my head hurt? Yes. Good. You probably have concussion. Does your neck probably hurt? Probably still have yes. a head. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> my legs yes. hurt. Good. Okay. They're still connected. Cool. Next. Right. But I went from head down. I was like, my neck hurts. Okay. Not moving my neck anymore. Don't want to die. My shoulder hurts. Good to know. And then I went, oh, my, I haven't moved my hand, my left hand. Can I? And I realized I couldn't. So I reached over with my right hand and felt a bone no, no, where it's not supposed to be. Don't do that. No, bad. And Put it back. I, it's not a toy. I did not put it back. <laughs> I was calm at this time. And the first thought was, oh, my arm is not going to swell. It's broken. I have a ring on. I should take my ring off. Took my ring off, put it in the glove box. <laughs> or the Those sort of priorities um, that happen that you're like, I, I don't even understand. Yep. Yeah. And I just sat back while everybody else around my car panicked because I couldn't get the door open and there's smoke everywhere. Letting everybody else and, do the work. Right. Because I'm not <laughs> moved. I, I refused to move. My neck hurt and I didn't want to die. <laughs> uh, well, whatever. Excuses. That's, that's all I was thinking. All I could think of was that lady who moved her neck and died. So uh, thanks, Dad. The first responder opens the door, and I didn't realize at the time I was 24. She thought I was 16. Uh huh. So when she opened the door, she said, "Honey, are you all right?" I said, "Well, I'm pretty sure I have a concussion. My shoulder hurts, my neck hurts, so I'm not moving, and my arm is broken. Just." deadpan told her that and she just looked at me like I was nuts <laughs> and oh honey I'm, I'm sure you're hurting your arm can't be broken because I'm not crying well right. she looked down and I can see out of the corner of her eye my eyes her face just <laughs> drain of color when she saw and she looks back up at me sweetheart your arm is broken <laughs> <laughs> it yes, might be I don't know. call me that yeah. I said, I know. I took off, but don't worry. I took off my ring. She said, you took off your ring? I said, yeah. I knew my arm was going to swell. My, my hand was going to swell, so I took my ring off before it could get too bad. She just shook her head at me, but they took me to a hospital of ill repute because it was <laughs> the closest hospital. And by the time they got me into the stretcher, all then that I had been able to collect was gone. The moving put me right back out of control and I was fading and out of consciousness and so was not in the right mind to say I don't want to go to the shithole hospital please <laughs> mm -hmm. so they took me there and the ER staff was great but when they discharged me the next day after my arm surgery all they said on my discharge papers was that my arm was broken but I had complained about my shoulder my pelvis my neck and a head injury. Mm -hmm. At the time, I couldn't travel very far, so I spent a month on a twin-size mattress in the living room of my friend who lived nearby. No, we'd yes, become closer it, friends real fast. 
Yeah, uh, her ex-husband wasn't very, uh, he didn't like it very much. So there were a few times where I woke up with his video game cords draped across my face. Oh, God. I think he did that out of spite. But uh, about six months later, after the wreck, I still, I was hurting. My hip hurt all the time. My shoulder hurt all the time. And I stopped being able to eat. And I'd have intense pain in my side. And a lady I worked with had been a nurse for about 40 years. And she said, you know, let's go get your medical, your full medical records from the hospital. We get the records and the administrator looks at them, looks at me and says, you never should have been discharged from this hospital. According to my full medical records, I had a lacerated kidney, at least one lacerated kidney. They never bothered to check my kidneys other than to know that they were lacerated, uh, which is by the blood count in your urine. They had called for an x-ray of my shoulder and then canceled said x-ray without doing it. I had a severe concussion, was in and out of consciousness and could not tell them my name at times, which I don't remember. And I had gallstones, which no one bothered to inform us of. So six months down the line, my gallbladder was failing. Right. And because I wasn't right, I have a very high pain tolerance. I, like I said, I've had tons of injuries. Now, hang on for a second. With the gallstones, is that related to the accident or is that just lucky? I think I just had them and okay. they found them when they were doing the tests for the wreck, but they didn't bother telling us. I see. Okay. I don't know how it would be involved in the wreck. I don't know if kidney function and gallbladder is related, but... I think they just so happened to find that. Okay. I had to have my gallbladder removed in July of 2016. Oh, oh, you're going to love this. I told the surgeon that I had crippling pain in my side and that I couldn't work, I couldn't eat. And he looked at me and said, well, you're not on the floor crying. He said, you don't look like you're in pain. Mm. And I said, sir, I had a tree snowboarding once and relocated my own kneecap and walked down the mountain so that I couldn't be, so they wouldn't helicopter me to a hospital because my parents didn't have insurance and I didn't cry. If I tell you I'm in pain, I think you should probably listen. Mm. Well, and just uh, the whole pain thing, the whole pain charts, the, the, you know, what are you on the pain scale? Zero to 10. And it's like, that means nothing. That pain chart means nothing because my paper cut might be your broken leg. Right. It's completely relative. The reason he decided to take my gallbladder out, he never did an ultrasound. He kind of felt my stomach. The reason he took it out, he said, was, and I quote, I like to take gallbladders out of women your age because it makes your pregnancies easier. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, I don't like it. (laughs) I I knew you'd love that. Oh, I don't like it. Thanks. I hate it. You're welcome. (laughs) That's the only reason he agreed to the surgery. Oh, it's to make your pregnancies easier. How long did it take him to get out of the hospital? Uh, I stared at him. I'd beaten him (laughs) with the nearest hard object and, you know, until... Somebody made me stop. 
Oh, gross. Oh, I try God. to curb my violent tendencies with people well, who are going to have my life in their hands. Well, no, he'd have been in, he'd been in the hospital himself. It wouldn't have mattered. I, I mean, and I'm not a violent person. Like, I've never deliberately harmed another human being, unless it was my husband and we were dating and I was pissed off and that doesn't count. <laughs> but um, uh, that, you know, as long as you get a female jury, you'd have gotten off. No problem. Well, that wasn't the thought that popped into my mind as long as I was willing to suffer his whatever sexism as long as he took the dang thing out. Because I literally lived off of a muffin a day for a month. Okay, that sounds like the end of pregnancy. So, <laughs> I've oh, been there. Good. Another oh, reason not to have kids. Right? Yeah, let me help some more. Well, he took it out. And bear in mind, I am 25 at this point, an adult. And my mother, who never came to see me after my wreck, where I almost died, decides to pop up at my gallbladder surgery. And instead of speaking to me, the doctor spoke to my mother. I never Mm -hmm. saw the doctor after my surgery. Mm -hmm. But he told her, oh, I was actually surprised when I took it out. She didn't look like she was in that much pain, but it was about twice the size it should have been. It was full of gallstones. Uh, Awesome. He, he He was wonderful. I highly recommend him if you're in Arkansas. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of thinking that I'm not going to go to Arkansas. And if I do, I'm not going to get sick. That is my, that is my thought. It's uh, very surreal, the treatment you get here. So he removed my gallbladder and about a month after I started getting pain. And so I I turned to the internet and the internet said some people experience phantom pain after an organ is removed. I didn't think much of it. And then I got sick in December. It was like the flu. And I didn't kick it until March of the next year. I had a continuous flu. Bear in mind, I was working a job where I was working 40 to 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. The whole time. It's probably part of why you couldn't get healthier, you know, because the whole... They when they when they ration your sick time out, and they overwork you, you're just going to get sick and stay sick. That's how it works. I was in a job that required me to work so much that they got tired of paying me hourly, so they moved me to salary. If yep. that gives you any indication of what kind of job I had. Yep. And in March, I it it just got so much worse. It. I, the flu was gone, but I would have these symptoms of a fever. I'd have all these shivers, but my temperature would be fine. I would just feel sick and sleep sometimes for 20 hours unless someone woke me up and I would miss work. Or I would text my boss and say, I'm going to work from home today because I was really only required to be at work on the weekends because I worked with kids. And we had these verbal agreements in a chat history on on my phone but but he decided that uh my mysterious illness wasn't 
is enough reason. He just thought I was lazy. That that became a common theme that whole year. I went to several doctors telling them something was wrong. I didn't know it was wrong. And because I have Hashimoto's, the first thing they looked for was my thyroid levels. And they were fine. So my doctors were like, you just have Hashimoto's. You're tired. Just push through it. You're young. Just push through it. I kept hearing that up. over and over and over. Right. Until I was forced to resign from my job in June 16th. No, 7th. June of 17th. I got a new job and pushed myself because at that point, my best friend started calling me lazy because I wasn't working through whatever I was feeling. She's like, I, you have an autoimmune disease, but it's not even that bad. You should, there's no excuse for you to not be working. And I started working for her about the same amount of hours until I ended up in the ER in September of 17 with excruciating pain in my side. I was nearly incoherent and they found out that a pocket of fluid had formed in my side where my gallbladder had been. Yeah, what is that called? There's a name. Sepsis? Or like oh, the yeah, actual... was... No, the, 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 the pocket of fluid, there's a name for it and I forget. Anyway. I don't think they ever told me. Um, there's just a, a, a Kim... People are wild. Where are you? Call me. Tell me. Um, <laughs> Somebody tell us. But you know, anyway, okay. So, but there's a name for it. I know that there's a name for it because I had that, that one of my, in 2010, I had 13 surgeries, 16 surgeries, sorry, 16 surgeries. And three of Ooh. them were after I had been discharged and the 16th being in the ER without anesthesia. And that is when I said, fuck this new doctor. We're done. And this was at MGH, yeah. Mass General. So it, it's a good hospital, but they had run out of appropriate ways to treat me, I think. So anyway, the moral is I've had one of those and I can't remember what it's called. But yes, it's a thing. Well, since you've had it, you know that it forms within the first two weeks to a month of your surgery. Yeah, and it's basically like a blister, but interior and mm -hmm. it's big and so, it hurts like a motherfucker. Yes. So the whole time from July 2016 to September of 2017, I was working 60 to 80 hours, having people telling me I'm lazy. And when I got sick in December, I was septic already because mm -hmm. that turns into an infection. Right. Sepsis is when your, your blood is infected. Right. And I worked through that all the way from December of 2017 until I was in the hospital in 2016. September of 2017 and the doctor's like well I don't know how you're alive or how you worked but uh you've got to get this out he sounded like a great surgeon I trusted him he put a drain in and I don't know if you know anything about external drains but that tube actually has to be changed once a week yeah, I knew it was frequent mm -hmm. I didn't know that at the time he left my tube in for a month. Oh, dear. Yeah. So at first, all the infections started coming out, and then bile started coming out from my liver. And he said, well, that's not normal. Let's do a liver <laughs> test. Oh, no. He did a liver test. Nothing's wrong with your liver. We'll just, we'll just wait for it to stop draining. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah. And then because... He never changed the tube. It became infected again. 
Would you like to guess what is fixed for that one? Another tube? Taking it out. Okay. Yeah. So I had a fluid still in my side. No, infected. And in his doctor's office, he had cut me off of pain pills. A week earlier, I had a tube through my abdominal wall under my ribs without painkillers for a week. And in his office, he goes, well, let's just take it out. It looks like it's getting infected. Lays me down, cuts the sutures, no topical analgesic, no pain meds, and yanks five to six inches of tubing out of my body. Yep. Which, by the way, hurts. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds not, you know, that's not one of the prices they offer on the prices, right? So I'm guessing, going to guess it's not all that fun. No, I went into shock. I couldn't feel anything. And he goes, well, don't you feel better now? And I said, well, I can't feel anything. <laughs> right. He said, well, see, you're better all." He literally said, well, you're better already. It's probably because it was in too long. Wow. <laughs> he didn't close the hole. He put, how, lo- how long was the, the drain supposed to be in? Like, overall? Overall, uh, it was actually only supposed to be in a week but I kept draining infection. I see. So, so they, they left it in longer because it kept draining. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when it kept draining and they never changed the tube and it became infected again, their answer was to just rip it out, mm-hmm. which seems perfectly logical. Zing. Yeah. Like a, like a wind up toy. Sure. Yeah. And all he did was put a piece of gauze over my side, tape the top and the bottom and just, Sent me home with this gaping hole in my side. Yeah, don't sneeze. You're good. Yeah, basically. It, it was about, I could stick my pinky in there if I felt like it, which I didn't. But I, I was going to say, I hope, you, I hope you didn't feel like it. But, you know, you do you, do you man. I'm not going to yuck your yum. So I did not. But I did just slather a big layer of triple antibiotic and actually bandage it because, you know, I'm not a doctor, but... I have the feeling that having an open hole is not a good idea. You know, I I, I guess. I mean, if you're going to be that way. <laughs> I don't know. Things could get in there. It's, I've seen too many horror movies. Oh, right. Maggots come to mind. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to stop right now. Thank you. <laughs> well, so I had that hole. And then the very next day, I passed out from pain. They took me to the hospital and they said, nothing's wrong with you. Yeah, except for the fact that I'm in the hospital, yeah. Right, and passing out from pain. They sent me home. The next day, I passed out from pain again. And my roommate took me to a hospital in a town over, in a big city where the hospitals are supposed to be better. And they said, well, we don't really know what's wrong with you, but we're going to refer you to a specialist. And this was a Saturday And my follow-up with the surgeon who just yanked the tube out was Monday. So I went back on Monday and said, listen, I don't know what your treatment plan is after this, but I've passed out twice from pain. You've discontinued my pain meds. I haven't had any pain meds. This hurts. Something is wrong. And you're also going to love this response. (laughs) You said, you're young. It's going to hurt, but just push through it. Don't yeah. think about the pain. It'll get better eventually. Yeah, okay. Until then, yep. And I said, yep. okay, but how, how, how long is 
is long because <laughs> I haven't worked now for two months. Right. I need yeah. to make plans for my life. Right. If I'm all that young, then I need to be doing stuff with it. Right. And he said, oh, I don't know. Just work through it. It'll be fine. And I told him I had been referred to a specialist from the other hospital. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't need to go to a specialist. There's nothing wrong with you. If there's something wrong with you, I would have dealt with it myself. You're just going to hurt. And that's just how it is until it gets better. We're done. Yep. Yeah. He was done. Wiped his hands with me, and I never went back to him. Yeah, I know. And I passed out almost every day for two weeks before my roommate and I decided enough was enough and made an appointment with a specialist. I don't know if this is general knowledge, but black women's pain tends to be overlooked more than other racial groups for some reason. I don't know. I don't have reasons behind it, but absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I would I would go so far as women of color are just not listened to in white doctors' offices especially, but then there's a certain degree of, in general, regardless of practitioner. And all my doctors prior to this had been white, but my specialist was black. And I don't know if this made a difference, but this specialist so far has been the only one to actually take me seriously. I It took a month to get in because I was a new patient, but I came to see him, told him I'd been passing out, told him about the pain, told him I'd been having problems, and he said, you're coming back the very next day for tests. He ran the very same tests that my surgeon had done and found that I had extremely bad IBS, damage from having an infection near my intestines for so long, that's irritable my, bowel syndrome. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, my upper colon spasm pretty severely as well. He said that the pain of your upper colon spasming, when he explains it to people, is like a horse kicking you in the side. Mm-hmm. And I, I live with that every day. And he said, in addition to that, your stomach spasm and the bottom of your esophagus spasm to the point where you now have a stricture, which means that my esophagus has shrunk in size. Mm-hmm. And other than getting, a, what is it called, a stint implanted, mm-hmm. which is usually only used for people who have cancer or something more severe, they stretch your esophagus every four to six months, typically. But I get mine stretched every two to three months because my insurance is denying the antispasmodic medication that would delay the closing of my esophagus. Gotcha. Aren't they nice? Yeah, so it makes more sense to pay for more procedures than... That's what I said. Yeah. I'm sure they love paying for all the procedures I need to get my esophagus stretched. So this is all happening, and it's now, what is it, October? Yeah, so... I've been going through all this and still unable to work since September of 2017. And only recently I've had some family support. And we were finally getting everything somewhat stable with the irritable bowel syndrome and trying to cope with the pain. I take Xanax for my pain 
because they can't give you pain medicine for life, but they can give you anti-anxiety meds for life, apparently. Okay. I don't understand the logic, but I take Xanax twice a day. And according to the doctor, it keeps me from getting overly anxious about my pain, so I don't pass out. Well, and I would also argue that at the very least, you know, um, the kind of things you're talking about, you know, in, in esophageal spasm and that kind of thing, that Xanax will also, it'll help medical, med, bleh, with your muscles. It'll help muscularly, you know, to, to try and prevent spasm. So there's a certain logic to it. Plus, you know, opiates will constipate. Which is actually the kind of IBS I have. So I have a medicine for that as well. I take about seven to eight medicines a day yep. to keep everything regulated in my body. Um, but we were getting everything we thought relatively stable. I stopped passing out as much. I'm still not able to be out of bed very long, but I'm not passing out, which is a big improvement. But I went in for a what was supposed to be a routine endocrinology appointment for my thyroid. And my doctor looked at me and said, how long has it been since you've had an ultrasound? And I said, oh, a few years. And he said, let's, let's just do one and, and see how your thyroid's doing. And you know that voice when doctors are concerned, but they don't want you to think they're concerned? Yeah, it's the, the voice parents use with their kids. Yeah. He, he's doing the ultrasound. And my neck's crane so far back. I'm one of those people who likes to watch things. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at it, and I see this bump. And he goes, um, what are you doing with the rest of your day? I said, nothing. Why? He said, you know, I, there's something in here I just want to check. Would you be able to come back in an hour for a biopsy? Oh, Christ. And I said, sure, that's fine. Uh, nobody told me what a biopsy was. They are I uncomfortable and not fun. Mm-hmm. I thought biopsies were like a blood draw. You stick it in the, the oh. little nodule or whatever you have that they think is cancerous, and they draw it out and they pull it out. And it's done. That is not what a biopsy is. I watched on the ultrasound machine and see like jabbed a needle in my throat forty to fifty times. Yeah. In and out. And that kind of it my nodule is right over my esophagus, so it's extremely sensitive. Man, they put two layers of numbing cream on my throat and I was still not prepared. Yeah. He said he wasn't too worried about it. I decided not to worry about it. And about a week later, I found out that I tested positive for a type of thyroid cancer called follicular neoplasm, which is more difficult than some other thyroid cancers to actually diagnose. So they ordered some genetic marking testing as well, and that also came back suspicious for malignancy. And that's about as good as you're going to get with thyroid cancer without taking the nodule out of your body and examining it. Right. So this is uh, two weeks ago, and I reached out to you in a panic. <laughs> and tomorrow they're cutting my throat open. Yeah. Now, are you, like, are you home alone? Do you have somebody that's going to take care of you? Yes and no. I live with my brother. 
but he works during the day and the rest of my family kind of works during the day. I don't have a very nurturing family. Uh, when I was growing up, I was the nurturer. So when the roles are reversed, it's not the most supportive environment. Uh, I'm the only extrovert in a house of introverts. So it can feel very lonely, I guess, when you don't really have anyone in your family to vent to. And I've been in my house for a year, so I haven't seen a lot of friends. I'm probably going to be on my own during the day. How long do they expect to have you in the hospital? As far as I know, they estimate one night Uh to make sure a human tumor doesn't form or blood doesn't start forming in your neck. And as long as you don't have any complications, they send you home after an overnight stay. I mean, you ask. You can ask for a visiting nurse at least once to come by and make sure everything's good. But uh, oh, big really? picture, that's a, yeah, yeah. I, insurance I, cover that. It depends on the insurance, but usually, you know, if you just make a big deal out of I will be home alone during the day and I don't have any way to get to the hospital, I don't have any way to get to the doctor rather for follow up treatment. Usually, insurance will cover it at least briefly, short term. You know. Ah. Uh. I might have to ask about that because I get to go in at 5.30 tomorrow. I'm the very first patient. So that's my story of the last two years of madness, but it's not the end. Over on Kate's podcast, we talk a bit more about the more emotional side of everything I went through and the topic of care. So head on over to Ignorance Was Bliss to hear part two. Kate is honestly the sweetest, and I appreciate having the opportunity to share all of this with you. If it wasn't for her, I probably would have continued my podcast as normal and not shared any of this. Kate has worked as a forensic psychologist and talks to people from all different walks of life about some really interesting subjects. If you'd like to hear more from her, you can find her on her podcast, Ignorance Was Bliss, and I'll be leaving her social media information in the show notes. Just as a little update, because this was recorded before my surgery, it turns out I didn't have thyroid cancer, but I now only have a remainder of my thyroid, and things are healing pretty well. If you go on my Instagram at some kind of brown, you can see how I'm healing. My thyroid at the moment isn't quite functioning, but we're hoping in the next couple weeks that will settle and hopefully I can start getting the rest of my life together. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at some kind of brown. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rate and review on iTunes. Your feedback really means the world to me. Thank you to Purple Planet for the use of their song, Love Life. And I'll see you in two weeks with some more Shades of Brown.